Crowds of people followed Jesus. You know this very well. You remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And where we say 5,000, there may have been 15,000 because they were only counting the men that were present. In this early stage of Jesus's ministry, there were crowds that were already following. Just two verses before what Regina has shared with us from the fifth verse, from the fifth chapter, uh, we learn that Jesus' fame has spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick and those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains and demoniacs, epileptics and paralytics and he cured them all and great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and from beyond the Jordan. People were coming all, from all over to see Jesus, to hear him speak and also to be blessed with all that he had to offer. They were seeking the presence of God in their lives. It's interesting as I look at my Bible that I see that these words that have just been read from the Beatitudes are in red ink. It hasn't always been that way. Uh, if your Bible has red ink in it, even if it's old, it would not have had red ink more than 100 years ago or just over 100 years ago. Uh, because that was not done uh, prior to 1899. It's an interesting thing that such emphasis is placed on these words. When it was first done, there were those that became suspect of it because it seemed to highlight, even though it was Jesus' words, highlight certain parts of the Bible over other parts of the Bible. And so their suspicion has been maintained for years and yet it is the beloved community of God that has focused on these red words as being very hallowed. Not that they are above anything else, but that we credit them with the very presence of Christ in a special way. As we look at these words today, even now just the reading of them gives to us a sense of Christ's presence. But they have a churchiness to them because we can't even say blessed. We have to say blessed, don't we? I don't know who added that pronunciation to it all. It comes, this word, from the Latin, and it is one that we are cumber, encumbered with, beatus, because we get the meaning wrong. I think most of us do, even though we intend to understand the scripture, we're somehow constrained not to understand what it's up to in this passage. A year and a half ago, a very precious person died, Evelyn Laycock, and if any of you ever knew her, you knew that she was a great Bible teacher who had as her home base Lake Junaluska, which is sort of the Mecca for Methodists up in North Carolina. Uh, but she would travel broadly at invitations to go and to teach. Uh, she was a professorial mind, but she had such a gentle, gentle spirit and knew how to communicate. I heard her down at Epworth-by-the-Sea on one occasion speaking on these verses. And she said, really a better interpretation of that word, blessed, would be how utterly happy are the poor, which seems to be nonsensical, doesn't it? The juxtaposition of poverty in relationship to happiness 
it doesn't go with the way in which we think because one seems to undo the other. But here, that's what she is saying. What she used to say that these words meant, how utterly happy are those who mourn. How utterly happy are the meek. And I want us to focus for just a little bit on this right now because these two segments of the Beatitudes, uh, blessings upon the poor in spirit, not blessings upon, but how utterly happy they are and how utterly happy are the meek are things that we need to understand in terms of the way in which Jesus was looking at this statement. My parents did not know what they were doing, I don't believe, when they gave me a periscope as a childhood toy. And I used every advantage to spy on my brother and my sister from around corners in our house when we were living in Macon. And I can remember wanting to catch them at some uh, particular, particular behavior that I would be able to hold over their heads. Um, you and I peer into other people's lives in this way. In fact, we become very suspicious of others and look with disdain on what they are doing. Uh, we uh, want to maintain our distance from people and so we keep our eye on them. But this is not the way in which Jesus looked at people, is it? Jesus looked at people through the eyes of love, God's eyes. And as he looked out over the crowds that were before him, he observed what was so profoundly significant and that is that people were buying into what he was talking about and what God was doing in that place. He was not wishing to get into adversarial relationship with these, but as he looked at them, these poor that had come from all over just to be close in order that their lives might be blessed in some way, he saw, he observed that God was already doing something absolutely unimaginable. Jesus saw the crowds, and when we hear his words here, it's not so prescriptive, it is simply an observation. He saw the crowds, and his first comments were, how utterly happy are the poor in spirit. And you know Jesus is always watching. It was Jesus who saw the woman at the well when everybody else might have looked past her because of her station in life. She saw Jesus gaze into her eyes and ask for water when no other good-meaning Jew would have even spoken to her. What a powerful thing it is, Jesus' gaze. And the poor woman who brought her offering to the temple so minute in comparison to all of those who were wealthy, who were giving large amounts. And yet Jesus, looking into the heart of this person, said she's given more than everybody today by these two little coins that she's dropped in. And you remember the rich young man that came to Jesus, the CEO of a character who showed up and asked how to follow. And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And he said, well, I have since my birth. And Jesus knew that he wasn't saying something that was untrue, 
but he could look into the heart of this young man and see that was not all he needed to hear. And so he heard Jesus speaking words that were too much for him. Give all that you have to the poor and come and follow me. And we don't know the end of that story. We only have it to that point because he walked away not participating, it seems, for the moment in what Christ was beckoning him to see. Seeing those in need is an important thing and you all do such a good job at that. I'm amazed at how many of you minister to those around you but I think it's also important for us to see not only those in need and respond, it's important for us to see those who see those in need and see the community around that is developing. You've probably heard too many advertisements for Rebecca's Cafe. I apologize because I am so eager in order that you all have the opportunity to experience that beautiful little ministry. Other opportunities will occur with it. But I want to tell you that in going and participating in Rebecca's Cafe, one of the things that you will see that is beautiful is that those who receive the meal, and it's interesting, as they come through line, the line, uh, many of them share so graciously the joy of their lives, their smiles, with those who are serving, that it creates a dynamic of joy. Um, in that space. Uh, not only are those who are serving uh, blessing others, but they too are being blessed. And in the case of Rebecca's Cafe, the food is always so good that the ones that are serving want to get in line as well and to receive. And then in participating at the table with others, just the conversation that will develop is beautiful. I've noticed at Rebecca's Cafe this mission opportunity for those that are needing physical nourishment that there are always persons that come for the purpose of helping others. They're not on the kitchen staff, but they show up and they will hover at the door so that those who are not capable of carrying their own plate to the table, they can assist them in getting situated and it's such a loving gesture. No one has given them this job. They've simply taken it on. And out of their own poverty, they have seen a place of community that has come to bless them. One of the favorite books that I have on my shelf in the office is one that's entitled, All You Really Need to Know About Prayer You Can Learn from the Poor. Isn't that a great title? All that you need to know about prayer, you can learn it from the poor. There's a particular uh, passage here that tells the story of a man named George McPhee. He lives at St. Monica's home for the abandoned elderly. Isn't that a terrible name for a home? St. Monica's home for the abandoned elderly in Kingston, Jamaica. It says, but George McPhee feels anything but abandoned. He says, the Lord is always with me and I talk to him at all times. Now, if you could see the photograph of George that is here, you would realize that there's something that's wrong with him. And the truth is that he has Hansen's disease. He has leprosy. 
And in fact, you can see that it has made a difference in the number of digits that he has on his hand. He also barely has a nose because of the disease having whittled life away. But George McPhee says, the Lord is always with me. And I talk to him at all times, he declares. Furthermore, this is a two-way conversation. The Holy Spirit speaks to me in a still small voice and gives me encouragement and direction. So although I am visually handicapped, he is blind, he's not able to see anything. Sometimes I see things spiritually, he says. This is George's trusting perspective, that is God knows best not just on his love of God, but on his general lot in life. He goes on to say, if I was enjoying good health and had a lot of material things, maybe I would stray away from the Lord, he muses. God bless George McPhee for teaching me something. I first became aware of those that were in need when years ago, when I was, I guess I was a sixth grader, and we were living in Metter, Georgia. My father was the pastor of Metter United Methodist Church. And the parsonage in which we lived was directly across from the church at that time. And about a block and a half behind the parsonage, there was an old abandoned filling station. My father heard about a situation and he said, Bill, come go with me. And we walked across an empty lot and to the back of the filling station. And there I realized was a very impoverished family that had taken up residence in that abandoned building in one of the rear rooms. I looked in the door and I saw the mother and the father sitting on the concrete of that room, that, that bare floor and they were leaning against the back it was obvious that they were just very tired the father stood up and came to us at the door there were two children in the room as well no electricity no running water nothing no food and I overheard my father talking with them and in his mind, I know that he was mobilizing what the church might do in order to care for these that were in such need. I was in shock at looking at their situation because I was so blessed to have a house that was cared for and that had running water and had electricity. And I never thought about where food would come from. And yet my father, my father was busy about the work of doing what God's people do. Now I don't know in their situation if they would have said at all that they were joyful. And it's not that Jesus is elevating poverty in some strange way to be this salvation for us. Poverty is not salvation, poverty is oppression except for those who have come to participate in the community of faith that Jesus is seeking to put amongst us. You can see this at work over in Acts chapter two. You can see that the, the believers, the early believers have tasted of what the nature of this community is. 
all came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's a scary thing, isn't it? They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. And this, it is, this is the way it is for those who are sharing in Christ's community, which is what Jesus was referring to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, heaven breaking in on us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth because those who love me will not have it any other way. This is what Christ was observing. And so we come to this table today, of course to this table specifically, to this altar, which is rather small. But can you get it in your mind how big God's table is? Can you see all who are welcomed to its edge? Can you see Christ welcoming all of those who are in need, who seek to be blessed, and those who seek to bless? And at a certain point, you can't tell who is who. Our approach to Jesus' prophetic declaration is this. Let us be that open table. This is not charity. Oh, no. It is far more profound than that. This is not charity. This is community. This is community.